Hey, welcome everyone. I'm Pastor Sue, and it's been a few weeks since I've seen you all. Uh, sometimes life gets busy here at First Presbyterian Church, and between Nancy and myself, uh, sometimes it's been hard to squeeze everything in, and so we've missed a few weeks of recording our After the Sermon conversation. So we are back now and excited to be here to talk about this past Sunday's sermon. So uh, Nancy O'Brien is our, our interviewer, and she, I always look forward to these conversations with her. So, um, oh, before I forget, you'll notice if you're watching the video version of this, there's an email address at the bottom of the screen. Uh, it's criticalfaith at fpclincoln.org. So if you have any questions about what we're talking about today, if you want to dive deeper, try to figure something out, email us at criticalfaith at fpclincoln.org. That goes to me, and I will do my best to answer your questions or figure out where to go for those answers. So with that intro, welcome, Nancy. Oh, hello, Sue. It's always a pleasure to connect with you. And I always look forward to these conversations because um, I learned so much. <laughs> and I hope our listeners do too. So, okay. In this Sunday sermon, you you really the hook the hook that got me was you know love is a, ver a verb <laughs> yeah like, um, tell me about that yeah love is a verb um, I mean I guess I could start by saying we often think of love as an emotion oh I love ice cream I love that person um, but if you look at at Jesus uh, love has nothing to do with emotions at all it is all about your actions how you live out love to another person. Uh, one of the things, uh, if you've listened to the sermon that I talk about is this idea of forgiveness. And I want to bring that in first because that often trips people up when we start thinking about what is our role in the world. And um, according to Jesus, our role in the world is to reflect God's love to others. But so often, I'll be honest, churches don't do that very well. Uh, we have withheld love uh, as if it was something you had to earn. And in the scripture reading for my sermon, where it talks about the mission that Jesus sends his disciples on, he ends by saying something that I think got us in trouble and made us kind of lose sight of what love is. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And out of, I would say, um, a misplaced sense of love, I think churches have taken that to mean that you have to repent of all the bad things you've ever done. You have to um, basically live up to our standards of what we think is right and wrong based on our understanding of scripture before God's love is fully available to you. And that's not what the Bible says. It's not what the scripture says. Um, in the gospel of John, sin is simply not recognizing God in Christ, not recognizing God's love in this person, Jesus, who came among us. And so our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to simply love others as Jesus loved us. That's where love as a verb comes from. And when we love others with the love of Jesus, 
then they just might see God in us. And in the Gospel of John, that means they are no longer living in sin because they now recognize the God of love before them. So it's, it's kind of a really convoluted and complicated answer to that question of you know, what does it mean that love is a verb? But uh, love, love is the way we connect with people and it is the way people experience God. And if we as followers of Jesus don't do that well, then why would anyone ever believe in the God that we profess exists if they don't see in us, Jesus, uh, God's followers, Jesus' followers, love? Why would they think that there is such thing as a God of love? So that's why love is an action. It opens up the door for people to experience God and a new way of being. Okay, you shared a lot of brilliance there. And I just want to, to, to kind of follow a couple of threads a little further, if we could. Um, at some point on my journey, I, I kind of read something or learned something, and I, I ended up kind of having this saying that goes around in my head all day long to say, what would love do? Yes. What would love do? if you know i'm waiting in line at the grocery store what would love do right what would what would love do um so then that loves a verb right yeah. how would love show up in that moment i give patience i let somebody you know go in front of me in the line i you know don't get mad when somebody cuts in front of me right whatever what yeah. what would love do love love being something I am connected to and part of, but kind of removed from me, right? I, I kind of almost have to like be, become an observer of myself. Like mm. what would love do in this situation? Yeah. Love would have more patience. Love would offer forgiveness, understanding, right? Or maybe a critical point of view. Yes. When it's needed. I love you. Are you open to hearing, hearing some feedback, whatever that is? Is that? Yeah, I mean, am I? Am I, I think, I, yeah, I think I think it's part of it. Um, love is an action in that. Yes, there are specific loving things we do in any given moment. Uh, what went through my mind when you first started talking was, you know, you're taking what would love do? We often use the phrase, well, what would Jesus do? I actually like the phrase, what would love do better, because Depends on how you look at it. Jesus is not here in the moment except through me. So to ask what Jesus would do, Jesus isn't, that first century Jesus we saw isn't the one who's sitting right here next to me. I am the embodiment of who Jesus is in this time and place. So the phrase or the question, what would love do to me is a much more meaningful phrase than what would Jesus do? Because it really is asking you to, to, you know, what is a loving action in this moment? But it's more than just individual things we do. It's kind of the sum of who we are. Mm. Yes, I. the loving thing in this moment is to hold the door for that woman who has two kids in her arms or the man who has two kids in his arms. 
uh, and just doesn't have a hand to get the door. The loving thing to do is to open up that door for that person. But as we live those kind of actions, love becomes who we are. It becomes our way of being in the world. It becomes the air we breathe. And that's when I think we become um, a window for others to see and experience God. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I've just started reading this book called Whole Brain Living. And it's from Jill, written by Jill, Jill um, Bolte Taylor. She wrote the Stroke of Insight. So she she's oh, yeah. a neuro she's a neuroscientist who had a stroke, and she observed her left brain functioning, shutting down, and her right brain opening up. So she was in peace and love, and everything connected in her right brain as she was stroking, and her left brain uh, put on the socks before the shoes, you know, mm-hmm. shut down. So now eight years post stroke, she's um, been on quite a healing journey. So she's writing whole brain living. And and what I love about it is she really starts to bring to light the biology of our duality. We have our ego. I like this. I want this. This is how I identify in the world, right? My likes and, you know, whatnot. Mm -hmm. But then the right brain is the connectedness to everlasting peace, love, everything, everyone, the tree and I, the tree and I are the, are the same. Right. right? And one of the things that I find really interesting, and I'm only like four chapters in because I'm a slow learner and she uses a lot of big words, but she's like, we all have these four brains, the left front brain, the right front brain, the left back brain, the right back brain. And she's at the, at the, and they all, all parts, are are needed right to be a human but not all parts need to take the lead all the time yes and so she's like you've got to learn about your four brains and have them take a do a huddle before they make a move because you don't always need the kicker you don't always Mm -hmm. need the running back sometimes you know sometimes you need something else and when we get too invested in oh this is who i am She's like, we can't get too invested in who we in, who we are, because our brain is meant to change and create new neural pathways. And our left and right brains are meant to support each other. So I think going back to love as a ver- verb, I think sometimes we have to pause to say, to trick ourselves to say, how do I put someone else before me in this moment? Yes. We can't give what we don't have. If I don't have a cup, if I am thirsty, Mm -hmm. I don't have a, I don't have a glass of water. I can't give you a glass of water if you're thirsty. One of the things, uh, I think it was, I'm probably going to say his name wrong. The, the monk Thich Nhat Thang. Um, one of the things, did I say it right? Well, I, I, but I love him. You said it right for me. (laughs) Um, I think he was the one who said, you can't think your way into a new way of walking, but you can walk your way into a new way of thinking. And that's, uh, and that is neuroscience. As you practice things, new pathways get created in your brain. Yeah. And so 
you know, we, that's why loving action is a start towards becoming a loving person. It's a habit, right? It, it is a habit. And, and if we are okay with the idea that love is an action and not an emotion, I can do loving actions, even if I don't like somebody. Yes. But the more I do those loving actions, the more love starts to grow in me and the more love starts to show in me. Okay. So I love this. So Jill Bolte-Taylor, whole brain loving. She's like, here's the way neuroplasticity works. Cells can, like cells connect to like cells. So when you do the love as a verb, more cells will connect to that. You open the door from somebody, you have patience for somebody and you know, you, you, you listen a little longer as opposed to interrupting, whatever it is, right? She said, the way it works is then more cells are going to glom onto that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have a new way of being. And so to your point that you made, maybe you have to fake it till you make it. Do, do a little bit more action, um, verb, love, until you are love. Yes. Exactly. There's a story I heard. I honestly don't know if it's true or not. Probably not. The best ones aren't. Um, but it's about this uh, couple. The woman had had cancer and she was dying. Um, but her husband wanted a divorce. He just, the love had fallen out of the marriage and he wanted a divorce. And uh, she got him to agree to wait 30 days before doing anything. But every morning, he had to pick her up out because she couldn't walk by herself, pick her up out of her bed and carry her downstairs out to the front door and then back in the front door as he did the day they were married every day for 30 days. And then she would give him a divorce without any any contesting. And after 30 days, he had fallen back in love with her simply by taking that action every day. Yeah. And so, yeah, we the more we do something, the more it becomes who we are, which goes for negative things as well, unfortunately. Um, but that's why I think it's important to remember that you don't have to worry about the emotion when it comes to love. But it is, as you said earlier, what's the loving thing to do in this moment? And the more we do that, the more easier it becomes and the more we become love. And then I think we really are, in essence, opening that door for other people to experience God because God is love. And I believe ultimately that's the source of, of our ability to do these things. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. So I have to share with you my good friend and colleague, Connell Delaney, she's the dean of the nursing school here at the University of Minnesota. Um, she, she did a little soft launch of her book, Leading with Love. And um, it's interesting. She's going, to, um, she's going to do a digital twin of this book um, using AI. Okay. Other leaders lead with love. And throughout this book, she has different examples. She said, so for example, at the university, we never replace people, we fill positions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So she just, you know, she just, she has a, you know, the, you know, from her years of 
leading as a dean of the nursing school. You know, she's got lots of examples. But she ha she she ends her book with this. She goes, L.R. Nost wrote, don't be amazed, excuse me, don't be dismayed by the brokenness, brokenness of the world. Mm -hmm. All things break. Yes. All things can be mended. Not with time, as they say, but with intention. So go, love intentionally, extravagantly, unconditionally. The broken world waits in the darkness for the light that is you. Absolutely. I've always loved that quote. <laughs> one of the... Um... Uh, one of the things that's been important to me is I think in my own life about how do I live a life of love is to be aware, be intentional about language. Um, there's a, a book, and I'm terrible at remembering author names, but the book's called Nonviolent Communication. And it reminds us even how our language can be dehumanizing, even when we don't intend it to be. Just just like what you said, you know, from, from your friend, it's like they don't replace people, they replace, or they fill positions. Replacing people's, that diminishes another person. That's not the loving thing to do or to even speak that way. And so it's made me a little bit more conscious of my own language and how loving is my language to someone else. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, it's intention. It is that intentionality of how I want to love and be in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And to create connectedness, you know, you know, where it's needed, you know, that, that, that extravagantly, I love all the words intentionally, love intentionally, mm -hmm. love extravagantly, right? Love. What's the third one? Cause they're all good. <laughs> um, unconditionally. It was interesting. Now, uh, once again, my history is repleting itself. So my life reads like episode, season two of Three Men and Ghost and a Puppy. Just the men are different. The dog is different. And the ghost, very different. Um, but it was interesting because the older gentleman was like, don't you believe in suffering? And I'm like, oh, no, not at all. <laughs> But, but he, you know, he, he was raised with, you know, in a very even gentle home and, you know, whatever, whatever. And it was like, why, why do you believe in suffering? You know? And then later on, it's like, you know, you know, don't you think money's bad? I'm like, no, I think money rocks, yeah. you know? But well, it's, it's so interesting because in those ways, I'm living extra, I'm loving extravagantly with him. Tell me more. You know, why do you think suffering so good? And will you listen to me, you know, you know, and share with you why not so much? <laughs> not so much. And, and I, my question would be, what do you mean by believe in suffering? Because um, I never know what people mean when they, they say things like that. I know. And I know I went there with them. It was interesting because I went there with them. He said, well, you know, you're supposed to give to the point that you don't have any. I'm like, I, 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 I don't know. I'm kind of with Buddha on this one. I don't think so. 
because you can't give what you don't have. Right, right. So, so getting back to where we, we were to start with, the more we love with action, the more it actually fills us up. Yeah, it does. And, and, and by, you know, conversely, the more we live in ways that are not loving, the more it depletes us. Mm. You know, so, so the simple act of, of being that conduit through which God's love flows, whether in the individual action or, or hopefully eventually as we become more love ourselves, you know, by living intently, intentionally that way, um, we fill our own cup and then we have more to give others. And then others begin to experience that love in new ways when it isn't just an action, when it comes from our heart. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's then when they can see God and they can see a new way of life opening for them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I believe we are called to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, Sue, I could spend hours. <laughs> I know. In these conversations, um, we'll let our audience go. We'll let you go too as well. But um, thank you so much for just, you know, diving in a little deeper with me. I appreciate it. And I know our audience does too. Absolutely. And again, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, if you have any questions, you can email us at criticalfaith at fpclincoln.org. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us at First Presbyterian Church, where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org. Got it.